A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Hi, welcome to the podcast. It's A Gay and a Non-Gay. I'm Dan Hudson. He's James Barr. And this episode is brought to you by Chappie, the gay relationship app for gay men. And today we are talking about gay conversion therapy. Which oh my God. It's not a funny thing. Wow, straight um, in. By any stretch of the imagination. Trigger warning. I don't know why you laughed, actually. Why did you laugh? Just because it's... I don't know. Because you were aware of how heavy that was? Yeah, I guess so. Or, I know you were doing that thing that non-gays do when there's something awkward and they can't deal with it so they laugh yeah pretty much yeah cool yeah. i thought so why do non-gay people do that i mean a lot of people do that too but i do think specifically non-gay people or maybe it's just you do laugh when something's really awkward and they can't deal with it yeah they can't like express themselves maybe it's a british thing is it a british thing yeah it's a british thing i think right okay and i suppose i do it too do i or not yeah uh, i guess yeah, i do I so. problem yeah okay sorry sorry to label you and like put that on you anyway gay conversion therapy discuss my first thought on it is that the title's wrong that sounds like they're converting people to be gay <laughs> so I mean, it should it, be called non-gay conversion therapy that's your i kind of feel like it should because it's trying to make people non-gay not to make them gay but conversion therapy is like trying to turn someone into something right yeah so gay conversion to me that says you're going to convert people to be gay yeah in fact, I think when I first heard of it, I thought that's what it was. It's like when people use the term public school in the UK, and it, the actual meaning of that is the opposite of what it sounds like. What do you mean? So a public school is also a private school, right? <laughs> oh, it's like but, a posh school. Yeah, but they're opposite words. But yeah, they mean, they mean the same thing. Yeah, because a public school UK, to me sounds like it's just for everyone. Yeah, but it's not. It's the opposite of that. Oh, Okay. Do they do gay conversion therapy in public schools? No. Okay. Mike Pence's wife is teaching at a school that doesn't necessarily practice gay conversion therapy, but does teach people that being gay is wrong. Yeah. And they don't allow staff that are gay or LGBT to work at that school either. Yeah. And then he responded to press, didn't he, saying he was fed up of the media coming for Christian beliefs. Yeah. Yeah which I think is the biggest load of BS ever, because as I've said quite frequently, it is not Christian to hate on anyone. Yeah. And to erase LGBT people is not Christian. It's homophobic. Absolutely. And also, if you're going to be a Nazi, mate, own your truth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have nothing else to say. That is literally, I, know, I shouldn't actually have said that. That's so offensive, but that's what I, that is what I feel about him. You know, Mike Pence says that people shouldn't be... Not only does he think this about gay people, but he also thinks that a man should never be alone with a woman in a room by themselves unless they're married. Why? In case they have sex. Oh, God. But so two men can totally be fine in a room on their own. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thanks, Mike. <laughs> is it okay to be calling the vice president of the USA, side note, a Nazi? Is, is that like... Yeah, I, th I think. Is it... I feel like I that's Trump quite strong. Is, I think Trump is one, isn't he? I don't, I don't know. God, please don't say I don't want to... This seems like a lot. It's not our place to say that, is it? Yeah, it is. Why not? <laughs> I just it's not already a one. I don't want to be shot, Dan. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. What, Nazis? <laughs> okay, no, good point. Okay, fine, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to say that both of them are, are Nazi. No, I'm, I'm happy to discuss it with anyone who wants to discuss it. Okay, what about the US immigration next time you try and fly over there? Do you not think that they might yeah, have... But I can't, you can't live life like that, Honestly, like, can't you? If I can't get into America because on a podcast I've said that I think Trump is a Nazi, then I don't want to get into America. What's the point of going to America if you can't say anything? That's the whole opposite of America. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. So we've got a huge announcement today. Um, and <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Dan and I are both pretty shook. I, d I mean, I wouldn't use that term personally, but yeah. Well, what term would you use? Just excited. That's not the same. 
What, what does shook actually mean? Shooketh. Oh, my God. I'm having this... <laughs> We're having this discussion again. <laughs> if you don't know the definition of a word, don't use it. <laughs> anyway, you can... <laughs> it means fabulous. Anyway, if you like this level of great banter, you can see myself and James uh, performing live. Live! This summer, on the 8th of June... June! 2019, at the Underbelly Festival on the South Bank, London, England, UK... World. World. Oh, my God, I am... Right, so I don't know if you realise, Dan, how big this venue is. No, I do, because you know? I've, I've, see, I've seen a photo of it. <laughs> right, okay, cool. And I don't want to see a photo of it ever again. <laughs> okay, so um, this is a bit fire festival, or at least I'm worried, I'm worried this is a bit fire festival. Dan and I basically went into a meeting um, in December with Underbelly, who are pretty awesome, and we were like, we'd love to work with you. And basically they, offer, <laughs> they offered us a spot at the Underbelly South Bank Festival in London, and um, I'm not sure we're going to fill it. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, and I've, I'm worried we've bigged ourselves up too much, a bit like Fire Festival, and now we've signed up to something that we can't, that we can't, can't, deliver, on. <laughs> can't deliver on. Do I have to dispatch you to uh, perform sex acts on people in exchange for water? <laughs> <laughs> by the way i think we should just quickly talk about that that is so horrific and so relatable like billy phoning up that guy to say oh you got to take one for the team you're the gay of fire festival so you've got to go and give head to some guy like the amount of times that's kind of happened in my life really just, I, I mean yeah you just literally did it to me <laughs> oh yeah i mean you literally <laughs> just did it yeah. Any, anyway, tickets are £14, including all fees, and you can buy them right now from gaynongay.com slash live. And we'll see you on the 8th of June, 2019, at 5pm at the Underbelly Festival, South Bank. Fabulous. <laughs> it feels so uncomfortable you saying that. Okay, so I think the reason we want to talk about gay conversion therapy today is because Dan and I just saw Boy Erased. Yes, it's a book by a guy called Gerard Conley who was sent to gay conversion therapy, I believe, in Arkansas. Otherwise, I like to call it Arkansas. Yeah, his parents sent him there and it didn't turn out very well. Um... And he wrote, he wrote, well, I didn't want to spoil, I didn't want to spoil the... Um, um, I'm sure you're not giving a spoiler alert when you tell everyone that gay conversion therapy is a load of shit. But carry on. So yeah, myself and James caught up with Joel Edgerton, who is the director of this film, Boy Erased. He read the book and he was so amazed and shocked by the book that he made an amazing film about it. What was so strange is I didn't really realise how much the film had affected me until I met him and freaked out. Because I was like, holy crap, that is the creature that tells you homosexuality is wrong. So, hi, uh, Joel Edgerton is on with the gay and non gay. Love the name, by the way, it's brilliant. <laughs> Do you know which one is which? <laughs> I don't know, yes, I think so. <laughs> you want to guess? It's okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I know. You, gay? James, yeah, I'm the gay one. James is gay and that makes you not gay. Yes, that's oh, right, yeah. non-gay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a gay, a non-gay, and a non-gay. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Do you identify as a non-gay? I do. I identify as, as non-gay. Um, <laughs> it's also an interesting point about the movie because quite often I talk about that moment where I read a book and went, oh, fuck, I really want to make this movie. And then I'm like, but I'm not gay. What do I do about that? And I'm not qualified to do it. But then I got over that. That's really interesting. So you were kind of like, oh, I'm a non-gay, so I can't do this. I did. I went, well, you know, this is a big debate, uh, you know, David, who's in there, my, my, my co-producer and I have about 
well, not a debate, we both agree that you make a movie that has an LGBTQ character in it and suddenly it's defined on a lot of websites under the word genre as LGBTQ. And it's like, well, it's also a fucking drama or it's a rom-com. It's like, I don't know that LGBTQ should be a genre. Yet when it comes to representation which has been a big thing for me as an actor, thinking about who should play what roles in front of a camera. Then the question of behind the camera became a big issue for me because I'm like, well, all right, well, am I allowed to direct this movie considering it centres around a, a kid who's an LGBTQ guy who went through conversion therapy? And how do I justify being involved with this movie? And so my first point of call was I'll be a producer. Like, I, lo- I love this. I don't love this story. This story is diabolical. It has a lot of hopefulness in it. It needs to be turned into a movie. Like, what can I do to help? And then I became so obsessed with it that I was stuck in a hotel room in Budapest and I started writing a couple of scenes from it. And no one else had sort of been banging Garrett's door down to turn his book into a film. I think it had been on the shelves for about a year. I was using that as part of my justification as well. I was like, <laughs> no one else is doing this. Well, I'm going to write a couple of scenes. And then I wrote the whole screenplay. And then I was like kid in a sandpit. I was like, no one else is allowed to make this because now I've written it. And my obsession and, and passion for it just kind of completely overrided my reticence to think that I was the wrong person. How did you come across the book in, in the first place? How did it come on your radar? Well, ironically, Kerry Roberts, who the producer of the film is, uh, she was disappointed by the situation in American politics about the potential of the walking back of the rights and freedoms of certain individuals, as we're seeing even more intensely now. And we're talking, she was feeling that a year and a half, two years ago. And as a little holiday, light holiday reading, <laughs> she decided to open up Garrett's book as an example of something that would help her stoke the fire of her feeling, political feelings. She finished the book and was like, this could make a great movie. And, and um, they knew, meaning the company that she worked at, that after making The Gift, my first film, which was relatively sinister, is that I was telling them, you know, if I make another movie, uh, I'm interested in a few things. One is I'm interested in true stories. I'm interested in doing something that's more of a drama than a, just a genre exercise. And I want to put something really hopeful out into the world. They gave me the book and my... Do, do you guys know of a show? You're too young, but you, you know of a show called Cell Block H? I've heard of it. I don't think I do know. So when I grew up, I was born in 74. There was a show called Prisoner, which the UK called Cell Block H. Prisoner was about a women's prison. I must have been seven or eight. My grandmother let me watch that show when I'd stay on the weekends. It became the foundation of my early nightmares. And as a Catholic boy, my fear of institutions, I think, were born out of watching certain things at way too young an age. And I was praying to God that I wouldn't go to prison, that I wouldn't go to an evil boarding school, that I wouldn't. So I had this fascination with institutions. So cut to like, you know, 2017, they give me this book, and it's an institution that I haven't heard about before. It's like a religious institution. And I'm like, this guy went through this. I've got to read about it. And without having any personal connection to him, I was like, oh, this could be cool. Blood on the page. It's like tiptoeing to look through the, the wrong window at something really diabolical. And inside of it, I got to know his family and realized that what I prejudged as hateful people sending their kids to things like this, hateful people running an institution, confused me so much because what I discovered is his parents 
could not deny the fact that they had sent him there out of an act of love. A gay and a non-gay. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Uh, we'll be back with Joel Edgerton in just a second. First, though, uh, James, can I get? A, can we get a quick update on your love life? Sure we can. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's actually really annoying because I am starting to wonder whether I'm the problem. I, I, I swipe with guys, but then... I don't really end up engaging in a conversation with them because it can be quite scary. There's a lot of negative conversations on dating apps. There's a lot of rejection. Um, and that's why I really love Chappie, the gay relationship app for gay men. Whoa, hey. Their whole ethos is that it's a safe and friendly, positive-led space for gay men to find gay relationships. So uh, you slept with a load of guys off the back of it then. Download Chappie now in the app store, C-H-A-P-P-Y. And if you're non-gay, why not tell your single gay mates to do the same? Great, let's get back to Joel. So obviously being gay, it has a profound a profound effect on me watching that film. Maybe more so than, than Dan. But I got very angry watching it, like so angry. And coming in this room just now to meet you, I'm scared. And not because you're like an actor, because I don't really care about that. That doesn't bother me. I don't get starstruck. But because of your character and the character you play in that film and the fear that that character has put inside. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to walk in the room and be afraid of you. Right. Interesting. (laughs) You got angry about the ideas within the film, about the fact that the therapy actually exists. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. I'm not saying that I got angry about the film. Like it's a masterpiece, but I I feel a lot of empathy when I watch things and stuff. So it really got into me. That's interesting to note too, is also it has that effect on people quite often, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of what they're, if they, if they are gay, what, what their coming out story was, or if they're unlucky enough to have gone through conversion therapy it's very very triggering for some people i've found garrett's story incredibly emotional and my life could not be more different except for the fact that i lived also lived in a very small homophobic town that i had religion when i was growing up and i had a deep fear and guilt relationship with god but everything else was the opposite and yet i felt reading the book like it stuck its hooks into me in a way that I got very angry and very upset and to this day sometimes when I talk about his experience I find it very hard to define exactly my motivations and why I got so drunk on the idea of making his book into a movie. It wasn't about profit and certainly as an actor during the two years that I've spent dedicating myself to making Boy Rose, I could have bought myself a holiday house doing a bunch of other stuff. Something about it obsessed me that I had to go along for that ride. And I'm very happy I did, but I can see the effect it's having over people. People get very upset by it. And I hope it makes people angry enough to do something. That's good. You know, like if, if you got that emotion from the book and then I get that from watching it, that, that says that you've done a good job, isn't it? I hope so. I mean, some people, it pisses me off actually sometimes when people go, there was, there was some US critic, I think, that said, oh, you know, what, what, what's all the fuss? You know, the kid who could just pick up the phone and call his mum and then leave. You know, why is that all so dramatic? I'm like, have a think about the inherent damage of ideas seeded in a person's brain, the selling of the idea that they can change when they can't selling the idea that sexuality is a choice selling the idea that they are partnering with the devil and even more deeply affecting than that is most of us have experienced the fear of separation from our parents if we're lucky enough to have had a good upbringing and good family and we identify with our parents as heroes and good people is that 
the idea that the two people that are most important to you look at you one day for no other reason than you're born a certain way and say, there is something wrong with you. And the people that send you away from your parents are your parents. I could never imagine the damage that that would cause to me. Even today, my parents are everything. And I'm 44. I don't agree with everything they say anymore, but I love them and they're so important to me. And up until the age of, I think, about 24, 25, I would have done exactly what Garrett would have done. I didn't need to be 18 to go, fuck you, I'm going to New York. I would have gone, all right, whatever you need me to do. So to have someone say, oh, what's the fuss? I want to digitally punch that person. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the movie punches a lot of people. I, I think it will help a lot of people because it's going to show them what's happening that they might not know about and educate people too. It's very much under a rock, you know. Think about um, there's no billboards that, you know, what happened in 1973, 74 in the United States when when homosexuality was no longer considered a mental illness where people could be just put in a facility, like a mental facility. You know, it opened the space up for, for churches to deal with what they saw as a problem that was going against scripture. And that's where John John Schmidt, who I based my character on, he, he started in Northern California. He was so good at, he, once he was a client, he became so good at, good at being a therapist that they were like, John, why don't you go east and find your own spot and set up somewhere else because we need more of these places. Is that these places exist under a rock. John would go to churches in the neighboring areas and just say, look, we know this problem comes up time and time again. You know, whenever it does happen, if families come to you in need, I mean, chatting with a minister and say, look, if any of these issues come up, give me a call and we have a place. And they sprouted an 84% success rate as a statistic. You know, just pluck a number out of the air. It makes me no. so angry. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, and, you know, I talk to people in the United States and one of the things I would do is a trick my brother used to pull because my brother looks younger than me even though he's older than me, when people would be like, who's older? He'd be like, what do you think? You know? <laughs> so when I was going around to talk about the movie, I'd tell them the story, and then they'd be like, oh, when, when is it set? And I'd be like, when do you think? And quite often the answer would be, oh, well, uh, the 50s, 60s. You know, I'm like, oh, try 2004. And beyond that, it's going on right now. And it's not just going on in the United States. It's going on definitely in the UK and as I found out when I went back to Australia to pre-promote the movie there was a report about 10 known facilities in Australia and everybody goes really and you're like well yeah it's fucking going on and it's going on because there's no outward advertising in the place it's all canvassed secretly and it's done within communities for example John Schmidt who I based my character on the film at the time that he was running the place he was a rock star because he was helping all these families They looked up to him. He was a big... He had an important stature in society. But when you break down the wall of that society and expose him to the news, like uh, a boy named Zach did in 2005, he printed the rules of love and action on, on MySpace. John had to suddenly come out in front of the news crews and do a press conference. And I think suddenly he didn't feel like a rock star no more. And that was the beginning of the end for him. 
where he started no. to realize, I think I need to get out of this place. I need to watch that press conference, yeah. I think. Have a look. It's, there's a documentary called This Is What Love and Action Looks Like. And I took a lot of information from that. And actually, Morgan, who directed it, along with Garrett and a few other people that had a close relationship with conversion therapy, became extras in that initial scene where the dollar bill speech of mine in the beginning. Morgan, who directed the documentary, is in there. He got to know John Schmidt as well. But they basically, what was wonderful, this is the proof that the internet will save lives, is, you know, Zach wrote on the internet, my parents are sending me to this place. I am terrified. Have a look at some of the rules. And within a day and a half, there was a picket line outside Love and Action. And it brought John out from under his rock and he had to address the public. And he was incredibly charismatic. And it's really scary to see a man talk to the things he's talking about and you go, oh, it's like meeting a politician I disagree with. And like, I hate the fact that I probably would like you in another context. My friend and I had an argument because he says that Victor Sykes, the, the guy you're playing in the movie, isn't homophobic. He's just affected by societal pressure to think the way he thinks. But I feel as though he is homophobic. What are your feelings on that? And when you were preparing for the role, did you have to kind of immerse yourself in homophobia to like get into that headspace? I think it's, it's far more complex than that. I think Flea's character is homophobic. He, he's based on a guy who had been in prison for assault and battery and his wife and drug abuse. And they thought, oh, he found Jesus in prison. He licked the flames of the hell. He's qualified to teach these kids, you know, and to teach them how to be men. So he had a real homophobic aspect. He didn't get, Garrett told me like that guy in real life would walk around in love and action and be like, I don't get you kids. Like what's wrong with you? Whereas John Schmidt had been out and open in Omaha, Nebraska, met a Christian woman, went back into the closet because he was told God wouldn't love him, went in as a client to a place like Love in Action, then became one of the blue shirts, as I call them, and get, get higher and higher up as a reminder to himself that he was getting closer back to God. But wrestling constantly with this idea that deep down, I think inherently, he was like, I don't really feel any different. But if I'm here every day and I'm sprouting this information, then maybe, maybe it's working. I think his homophobia was born out of siding with what he thought God would want and going, well, if, if, if the scripture and Jesus and, and God don't like homosexuals, then then I'll say it's a bad thing either. So he, he, knowing what he was, was shaming other people for the same thing. So that's the complexity of that guy, which I found so fascinating to think now that he's just happily married in, in Texas and restores furniture and, and is doing his own thing to speak out against conversion therapy. He was at the New York premiere. He offered himself up as a consultant. I, I do honor his ability to be somewhat contritious in the face of it, but he caused a lot of damage and it's very hard to live with that every day. So he has pushed a lot of blame onto the higher ups, but he's doing as much as he can. And by the way, if anybody does want to know more about conversion therapy, um, David, who I'll introduce you to in a minute, who's here, my co-producer, has produced a podcast called Unerased, which just went number 10 actually on the podcast list. And it's about the history 
and the broader understanding of the birth of and the existence of conversion therapy and really worth a listen because this blows the roof off one household and one type of therapy. Unarrays gives you a much greater understanding and involves the mama bears and all, all sorts of wonderful other information. A gay and a non-gay. As you mentioned, this stuff is going on over here in, in the UK and it, it, from what I understand, it's particularly bad in Northern Ireland. But as you kind of alluded to, if you Google Northern Ireland gay conversion therapy it's doesn't come up you really have to like dig deep to find it which suggests that they are almost you know ashamed of of this practice that's going on but with all this stuff going on both in the states and australia and over here what can we do about it there there is actually stuff to be done i mean lifting the lid on it and and exposing it is one thing i have a feeling like you know there will feel a time where there's a tipping point if there's enough exposure on it because it's been existing in relative obscurity only within communities who like i say who treat people like john schmidt like rock stars it's like if you you let them know they're not rock stars there's ways of, of leaning on local politicians to do something about pushing bills through. I know Theresa May is trying to push a bill through to, to ban conversion therapy in the UK. The same is going on in America. Trevor Project have this incentive called 50 Bills 50 States because there's only 36 states. Well, there's only 14 that have banned it. And their, their incentive is to make sure that all 50 states legally ban conversion therapy. You know, it's sort of a case of the Stepford Wives to me. It's like point and scream, you know, like draw attention to people doing the wrong thing and things can change. Um, listen to the podcast. There's also a website called stopperaising.com, which is really in conjunction with the film. It, it can help steer people in the direction of the people who are doing great things like GLAAD, like the Trevor Project, and as a helping aid, as, as a lifeline for people, you know, they get, this, Garrett gets constantly reached out to by people who are like in a lot of pain, who don't know what to do, who feel very alone. And he, having read the book, becomes a quasi like buoyancy vest for some people. And then he can help steer people in the right direction. That website is a really great source of information for anybody going through things. The, any parents out there, Mums in particular look at the mama bears as a great example of women who just galvanize. Some of them don't even know each other and yet they're doing the most selfless things to help each other from various parts of America. And I'm sure there are groups like that in the UK. Human beings will find a way. It's amazing how slowly we evolve and it's amazing how shocking things can still go on that we don't even know. I just came from Ethiopia I was doing some charity work there and, and I was about to do a press conference and someone said to me, oh, hey, in case any of the journalists ask you about boy rays, I just thought you should know it's illegal to be gay in Ethiopia. I was like, well, what do I do with that? You know, like, am I supposed to be outspoken? I, I think I should be if that's what's posed of me. Um, so conversion therapy is one thing. You think about Garrod, his husband's Pakistani. be a whole other bag of problems for him if he went home and went, oh, by the way, I got married in America. God, you know, I could talk about this for days. But, yeah, those, those are some places. Stopperaising.com and, and Unarrays, the podcast, are, are worth really checking out. Very last question. What's your best tip for being an ally to LGBTQ plus people? My best tip for being an ally? What, one really great thing that I heard from Garrett, which, which I thought was very special, is, is, is to be outspoken, is to not 
shut your mouth, not be silent. You know, his mum is a great example. Is is that not only does she defend Garrett or anybody else of the LGBTQ community, but it's extended to if she hears anyone in her community say something racist or bigoted in any aspect, she actually kind of calls them out. And I think it's one thing to be an ally personally, internally, and hold certain thoughts, but it's also a really great thing to be able to say to someone like, hey, I thought that joke was really off and I think you should really really think about what you just said or, you know, to be on a bus and call someone out for being rude to somebody based on the colour of their skin or their gender or their sexuality. So, I mean, I I think people can be an ally for all sorts of things and I think that um, it's little acts of heroism go a long way. My fear has gone, I'm happy to say. I'm going to introduce a new fear to you. David, show your face. (laughs) Is that one of you, David? Hi. Oh, my God, no, I'm afraid. (laughs) Oh, no. Like, We're very afraid. Guy. I'm afraid as well. Are you afraid as yeah. well? Is, is David going to follow me to the toilet afterwards? Yeah, yeah, you can't go alone. Obviously, you've got to be accompanied by a staff member. I've been monitoring this entire conversation. So I'm going to now uh, take your phones. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, you didn't take my notebook on my phone. God, it's scary. It. It's so yeah, scary. It's, scary. Yeah, it's a great film, Joel. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Pleasure. Thank you. In the movie and in, I'm sure, gay conversion camps, you are not allowed to go to the toilet on your own. You have to have a man accompany you. Yeah. That makes no sense. It's like if you go to the toilet in an exam, isn't it? But what exactly are they worried you're going to do? Have a wank, I guess. But that doesn't mean you're gay. No, I don't I, understand I, why they're making you go to the loo with another man. Surely that's the opposite of what they're trying to do. Anyway, so when I went to the loo after the film, I was like, oh God, does Dan need to come with me? Am I allowed to go on my own? And it's so weird how much how much it affected me. That I mean, is, that I, is bizarre. Like I said to Joel, it just made me so angry. I would like to warn gay people before seeing it that you know this will potentially give you a lot of emotion. I have a friend that's from Northern Ireland who I was talking to about this film, and he explained to me that someone he knows from Northern Ireland, from home, was put through gay conversion therapy by his parents. Wow! And he apparently has tried to talk to him about it, but he doesn't want to talk about it for obvious reasons. And we've actually received a lot of uh, messages from listeners who have experienced homophobia and talked to us about gay conversion therapy. Because of this, Dan and I have decided that we want to shine a bit of light on Northern Ireland and try and do something about it. Yeah, so if you've been affected by um, gay conversion therapy in Northern Ireland, we would love to hear from you anonymously if you like. Um, Our email address is us at gaylongay.com. I mean, there's a whole load of stuff to get in on, but... I think what I'd like to say is if you have experienced gay conversion therapy or homophobia or lack of understanding for LGBT people or you're just annoyed that you don't have gay marriage yet, please get in touch. Us at gaynongay.com or at gaynongay on socials. I also want to give a shout out to our favourite charity in Northern Ireland, The Rainbow Project. You can find them at rainbow-project.org. They're promoting the health and well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people and their families, as well as campaigning for love, equality, gay marriage in a country that should already have it because it's in the UK. Sorry, I got angry again. Find us on your socials at Gay Non Gay. Listen at gaynongay.com. 